We're going live to the Law House, where opening statements are about to begin in the case of It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom versus Derek Dallas Carr, alias Jace Frost. The defendant is accused of operating a quote-unquote burner account to slander his teammates, his coach, superior NFL quarterbacks, Kawhi Leonard, and the Clovis Unified School District. You will first hear from counsel for the persecution in this matter, followed by counsel for the defense. We now go live to the opening statement by the persecution. I'm tired of being disrespected. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Las Vegas quarterback Derek Carr told the sports media on the afternoon of August 4th, 2020. This is a man who has a 39 and 55 career record in the National Football League. This is a man who has a 4 and 27 record against playoff teams. A man whose greatest achievement as a quarterback is finishing second in the NFL in completion percentage in 2019. But ladies and gentlemen, Derek Carr felt disrespected. He saw your tweets from the tweeters that he hadn't blocked yet. And instead of letting his play on the field win him respect, he decided to fight back in another way. The evidence will show that in April 2020, he created what is commonly known as a burner account. Ladies and gentlemen, his alias, Jace Frost. His mission, to find the haters and the trolls who dare disrespect a mediocre NFL quarterback and make them pay. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to give you evidence we are here today to give you truth, and in the course of today's trial, the evidence will show that Derek Dallas Carr is Jace underscore Frost, that he knowingly and deliberately used this alias to slander his teammates, his coach, anyone who dared suggest that Derek Carr was anything short of an elite NFL quarterback. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the defense, they're going to try and pin this on somebody else. Will it be David Carr, Derek Carr's older brother and number two fan? Will it be Raider Cody, noted mental hospital patient and Derek Carr's number one fan? Whoever it is, don't be distracted, ladies and gentlemen, by whatever gimmicks, whatever nonsense the defense tries to put in front of you. Look at the evidence. That evidence points directly to Derek Dallas Carr, the mediocre quarterback who demanded respect. Thank you. Counsel for the defense, you may proceed. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished colleagues, uh, Derek Dallas Carr isn't really on trial today. Common sense is on trial. And well, common sense would tell you that while running a burner Twitter account to defend a quarterback such as Derek Dallas Carr, it, it, it's reckless, it's moronic. One might even call it donkey brain. Why would a quarterback such as Carr, who only ranks 11th in the NFL during his career in quarterback fantasy points, 10th in touchdown passes, 16th in wins, has the 11th most interceptions thrown, and is a putrid 28th in quarterback rating, why would he think that his career was worth defending? Surely if Carr is of sound mind and body, he would recognize that these tweets that his so-called burner was responding to were actually valid criticisms of the man. This leaves us with only two valid options, that either Derek Dallas Carr is not, in fact, of sound mind and body, or that he is not the mastermind behind the burner at all. Let's look at the evidence for it being older brother David Carr for a second. 
Now, obviously, the burner tweeted about Clovis School District, and that school district is not small enough that it can narrow the account down to one man or one family just based on tweeting about the district. And in fact, David Carr does plenty of defending of Baby Brother on his own with the NFL Network and has made countless asinine declarations of Derek's aptitude that turned out to be completely false. You see, David Carr is a liar sometimes. Why would he need a burner Twitter account to defend someone that he already defends on his nationally televised platform? No, no. Instead of blaming this on the brother, your honor slash bailiff, Derek Dallas Carr is pleading insanity. Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. We hope you enjoy that little excerpt from the Sports Illustrated Trial of the Century. It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom versus Derek Dallas Carr, a.k.a. Jace underscore Frost. We will bring you coverage from closing arguments of that trial later in this episode. But in the meantime, we have a little bit of news to talk about. We're going to have some news, 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 news. We also have a couple of mailbag questions we're going to answer, and then we'll get back to that trial there at the end. But first, Taylor, let's talk about this news. This is the week of, we're sort of going to record this over two days, just to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain. It is currently August 5th. Tomorrow, August 6th, is the NFL opt-out deadline. So we're going to just splice that in here. Don't freak out. It's all fine. But we do have some news that we can talk about today, Taylor, starting with the Chiefs are in training camp. That's a real thing that's going on right now. Yay, training camp. It's uh, normally a time of, you know, excitement and all all things are possible and all these other. Basically, the, the training camp vibes from before we won the Super Bowl were completely different than the training camps after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Now it's all business it's all expectation it's all you know well first of all it's all covid also so there's a lot of there's a lot of mixed emotions going on right now but in general i do feel excited i do feel that the nfl is closer than ever and i'm just waiting waiting for that week one there's going to be no preseason which is going to make training camp feel like a longer period because we're not going to have four weeks of fake football before the real stuff so um it's all it's all happening yeah, if we had a normal schedule, we'd be seeing preseason games like next. I think tonight right? or Thursday night would have been the Hall of Fame game. I believe. Yeah. Wow. August that's crazy. August seventh, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of bummed out. Now I kind of miss the preseason because that yeah. would have been fun to see some football. But it's it's interesting. It's obviously we're going to talk about the opt outs when that news kind of becomes public. But so far, so good. The Chiefs are in training camp. They're practicing. They're putting out some limited video. It's not clear exactly how much work they're doing, you know, whether, you know, Patrick Mahomes is just handing off to Clyde Edwards Hilaire so they can get some good content for the gram, for the Twitter account. That could be it. Uh, but we are seeing a little bit of activity. Uh, obviously, we've seen a, a few peaks from behind the curtain with the Chiefs media, um, their production company and everything like that, just giving us some some insight into their meeting rooms. Everybody's masked up. Everybody's practicing their proper protocols. Uh, so we're excited to see that. So we are now, gosh, we're we're just over a month away from wow. opening night, Thursday night football against the Texans. And as of right now, we're still scheduled to start on time. So fingers crossed that that is still going to happen. 
Yeah, that Texans game is is I don't know about you, but I feel a little bittersweet about it considering how fired up I was to go to that game in person with you and watch the celebration and watch us clown those Texans. And I mean, I'm obviously still very excited for it. It's going to be the first game of the season. It's going to be the first real sports, not counting baseball, which doesn't really count anyway, that you and I have watched for a long time. Um, I just feel like it's going to be an empty arrowhead for the day or the game after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl is just going to I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to wrap my head around it, but um, I have weird feelings about it. Yeah, and especially since this should be, and I have not heard any news on this, this should be the ring ceremony and the banner raising ceremony. Yeah. You know, you. The big night. Obviously, Arrowhead should have been packed for that, and it sucks that there might not be anybody there. If there is somebody there, it's going to be a very reduced crowd. Obviously, we talked about that. We just don't know. I mean, we're still a month away. Obviously, I'm sure behind the scenes that the Chiefs have made preparations for that they have started to kind of get that all put together and i'm sure that that they'll present that on tv you know it'll be cool for it to be nationally televised but obviously it would be cooler to be in arrowhead experiencing that in person unfortunately we do not have that option this year nope. uh, we do have some other news before we get into the COVID and the opt-out news josh allen has challenged our man patrick lafon mahomes to a throw-off not now, smart. The terms of this throw off, I don't know that they've been completely decided, but there are betting odds. You can bet on this. <laughs> you can bet on anything. You can bet on anything, but and you can tell how much the sports books are hurting for content uh, <laughs> now that you know they've been without sports for months. You can bet on this, and here are the odds, Taylor. We're gonna we're gonna break this down. Okay. So the odds for longest throw. This is interesting. So the odds for longest throw. Pat is the favorite. He's minus one forty, and Josh Allen is plus 110. So he's the underdog for longest throw. So just mm-hmm. pure distance. Pat is the favorite. Josh is the underdog. Mm-hmm. For fastest throw, how fast can you throw? <laughs> Josh nice. is the favorite at minus 130, and Pat is plus 100. So he's a slight underdog there. That makes sense. Also, given their fastest recorded throws, Allen 62 miles an hour, Pat 60. So that makes sense. So it does make sense. But if you're a betting man, you're betting. Which I am. You're betting on Pat, right? Like we can uh, put some money down on this right now. And yes. Probably will. Because the sample size that Josh does not have any throws for is important throws. That and, is very true. And Mahomes obviously has a boatload of those and has performed exceptionally well. So, yeah, I think um, the lights, so to speak, come on. Pat knows the world's watching. He knows that he's supposed to be the alpha male in the NFL right now. And if somebody's coming challenging the throne, I don't care what the challenge is. Pat's going to step up to it. And I, I just can't imagine, you know, I bet Pat would put all 500 million on himself on that. bet. I mean, he just, you know, he's, he's just that type of guy. And so because that would be a very, (laughs) that would be a very Michael Jordan move. <laughs> that's that's who he's about going him for. Next Jordan, nice. betting your entire half a billion Ooh. dollar fortune on the one contest to see how fast can you throw. That was that, a that nice, be, nice pull by you. That would be a Jordan-esque move for sure. Uh, but you know, to your point though, I mean, listen, when Josh Allen was clocked at sixty-two and Pat was clocked at sixty, consider consider where they were coming from and what those contests of speed meant for Pat. I mean, obviously, everybody knew that he had a monster arm. Everybody knew Josh Allen had a monster arm, right? But Mm -hmm. Josh Allen's draft stock coming from, you know, a small school without a lot of production Mm -hmm. uh, really was based entirely on tools, right? So 
you, Josh Allen going up and lighting up the radar gun and throwing a football 62 miles an hour, that seems like it probably was higher stakes for him than it was for Pat, right? Like Pat obviously had some concerns, you know, coming from the air raid. That sounds really silly now, but he produced at a D1 college at a high level without a lot of weapons around him. You know, like he obviously still had to improve his draft stock because you know, there were, there was talk leading up to the draft, you know, like at one point he was a third round pick, you know, second round pick late first round pick. And then obviously he ends up going 10 overall, but I just feel like if, if the chips were on the line, like you said, I mean, with Pat being the competitor that he is, I feel like he can go out there and throw 63, 64, you know, I, I think he can do it. Now this distance one is interesting to me. Uh, new chief Coluccio simile was just saying, that he's seen Pat casually throwing the ball 70 yards in practice. So the longest throw, there's an over-under for 83 and a half yards. And we've seen some clips of Pat throwing the ball very far. So 83 and a half over-under, and then fastest throw, 60.5 miles per hour over-under. Now, that seems like one where you slam the over, because Josh yeah. Allen's already been clocked above that. Pat's right. been clocked right there. Yep, and, and they're not going to throw a, slower than that. Yeah, they're not going to throw slower than that. you got the adrenaline pumping. I don't know, is this going to be like for a charity pot or something like that? Like, they're going to – whatever it is, you know that both of these guys are going to go out there and want to win. That seems mm-hmm. like an easy over for me. Yep. The longest throw of 83 and a half yards, ah, that's a really long throw. I don't know where they're going to be holding this competition. Have you seen any information on that yet? None, none on the location. They had something lined up for this summer. So what Josh said, and then COVID kind of threw that all for a loop. So whatever plans they had are probably no longer. I feel like if this competition is taking place anywhere above sea level, I'm slamming the over on 83 and a half yards. Mm-hmm. I feel like if it's taking place at like sea level, maybe in a place with uh, you know, a, a high level of humidity, let's say Houston or Miami somewhere, you know, on the, the Gulf coast where the air is really thick and heavy, I probably would take the under, I don't know. That's, that's an absurdly high number, 83 and a half yards. But I mean, you know, maybe they're going to be in shorts. They're going to be slinging it. Right. No pass rush. Um, both have clearly done this type of, you know, throw a lot where they just see how far they can throw. When you have an arm like that, you definitely are testing it out all the time. So, I mean, I, I would slam both overs and feel great about it. Well, that does it for the entertainment news. Now we have to jump into our COVID-19 news. So Taylor, the old opt-out clause, the old (laughs) opt-out clause, the deadline for players to opt out was today, uh, August 6th at three o'clock arrowhead time and this morning we had one of our only notable opt-outs of the day and it was a chiefs player the only rookie out of the 61 i believe players that chose to opt out third round pick for the chiefs lucas niang offensive tackle uh did decide to exercise the opt-out clause and will be opting out for this season yep it was uh it was an interesting news break because i hadn't really considered rookies in general, I guess, even though they're, they're at just as much risk as anyone else. Um, and, you know, you would like to see the development there in his first year, but Yang was one of those guys that wasn't really going to get a ton of game action. So I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I think the chiefs were plenty prepared for this. I don't think it's blindsided them by any means, um, but it was, it was interesting for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know as, as of when we're recording this, we haven't seen like a statement released. Obviously a lot of players have put out statements sort of explaining their decision. Uh, Bill's cornerback Tredavious White kind of went through a will he won't he situation today, whether he was going to opt out or not and ultimately decided to opt in. But, you know, he even put out there, you know, his uh, girlfriend's 
father or grandfather had passed away from COVID. We've been getting a lot of, not that the players owe us explanations, but we, we have gotten explanations from a lot of players for why they're doing it. And as of right now, we have not heard from Luke, Lucas Niang about what motivated that decision. But football-wise, you know, obviously he, he played tackle um, every game, I believe, in his college career. Mm-hmm. He had no experience previously at guard. And so, you know, there were some rumblings that maybe he would – get some reps at guard um, obviously with the chiefs interior offensive line being a little bit less settled than their tackle situation with Fisher and shorts. Uh, but that's not going to be the case this season uh, to put a positive spin on it. I mean, obviously whatever he has going on personally, good for him for, for making the choice. And, and like we said, I mean, the only rookie to opt out. So that, that took some guts um, to say, you know, I haven't played a single snap in the NFL and I feel comfortable exercising my right to opt out. Um, but on a positive note, you know, he is a tackle. Uh, ultimately, you know, we're thinking he maybe is, is being drafted as a replacement, either for Fisher or maybe for Schwartz down the road. And, you know, he's a third-round pick, so he doesn't have a fifth-year option, that he's only under option or under contract for four years. This actually pushes his rookie contract back. So in a year where he was not expected to start, you know, the Chiefs would have essentially been burning a year of his rookie deal, which obviously is when he's cheap and cost-controlled and – that's a really valuable time, especially for a premium position like tackle. This will push it back a year. And so the Chiefs now will control his rights through 2020, 2024, 2025. Or should be 21, uh, yeah. 22, 23, and 24. Yeah. So through tw- the 2024 season. And, you know, I don't know exactly what the rule is for uh, how players are allowed to stay in communication with their team. It's a yeah. little bit odd because – you know, obviously a lot of these players are veterans. They don't necessarily need to communicate and learn the playbook and things like that. But with Niang being the only rookie, um, I, I have not seen this reported anywhere, what that the rules are there. I would think that unlike with the suspension or something like that, where the player is being punished, yeah. I would hope that there's no restrictions on him communicating with the team and the coaches. I, I just don't know. I haven't seen that reported anywhere. Well, if I know the NFL, unfortunately, I think I do. <laughs> um, I would think that they would come at it from more of a competitive balance standpoint and not sure. necessarily a punishment standpoint. And I would think that they would consider an opted out player. Um, you know, they might, they might think, well, why should the team I don't know. It, 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 Goodell makes a lot of weird decisions on stuff like this. And if they come out and say that the player is not allowed to have football contact with the team or something like that, that would be obviously total bullshit. But it probably is. A, it's a likely scenario, or at least it's a possible scenario. And other than that, um, it will be if he does, if he is allowed full access to the facilities and the coaches and, you know, practicing even, you know, it depends on how much they allow these opt-out players in. And if he is, then it's a total win for the Chiefs. They don't have yeah. to pay him this year, or I, I guess pay doesn't matter with the rookie. But uh, like you said, pushes back the whole year. He just gets to wipe it from his eligibility there and push it back a year. And he will still, hopefully, be able to develop to the point where next year he can step in and he won't play like a rookie. You know, He'll have a whole year in the system under his belt. So um, I don't see this as a bad situation at all. Uh, it will be disappointing if the NFL puts up some sort of blockade with his development here because of this. But um, I would think that the PA would hopefully, or the P- the players union would hopefully throw a fit about that. But um, yeah, I mean, 
it's weird because, and, and we don't know the answer to this. So just kind of thinking out loud, I mean, it would be very strange for the NFL to essentially disincentivize players from opting out by saying you can't have any contact with the team, like, especially for rookies where, you know, they, they need that time in the system. And I get the yeah. competitive balance aspect of it, right? Like, you know, players like rookies specifically like opting out essentially getting a red shirt year like Niang is getting right. and extending his rookie deal the thing is though it's the player's choice to opt out and mm-hmm. the player is not getting anything out of that arrangement right like right. they're they're delaying their free agency by a year you know they're not taking any salary they're getting their $150,000 stipend yeah they're not getting a chance to play their rookie year which like players want to play right like Lucas Niang mm-hmm. I'm sure in a normal season would absolutely be in there competing his butt off to try and win a starting spot be it a tackle or guard you know like it would be a weird thing to say you know from a competitive balance standpoint we don't want these players having contact with the teams yeah. when ultimately it's the player's decision and so you know it's not like the Chiefs I mean the Chiefs could go and say to Lucas Niang like you're gonna opt out bro and he'd hmm. be like fuck no like no, I, right it's I an op- play. Like I, option, yeah, yeah you know it's it, an option and it's yeah. a player option so yeah. i don't know that would be weird but you're right the nfl makes weird decisions all the time um on that note uh, just to kind of wrap up the opt-out news we did have a couple of former chiefs uh, albert wilson opted out for miami that doesn't really affect the chiefs but good for bert um you know doing what he needs to do to stay safe love that guy yeah uh no opt-outs for the Chargers, I believe. I saw they were the only team in the NFL to have no players opt out. Hmm. And for the Raiders, just one former Chiefs linebacker, Ukeme Aligwe. Uh, I'm sure I butchered that. I can't hmm. remember his first name, but Aligwe uh, for the Raiders was the only opt-out for the Raiders. So weirdly enough, the Raiders and the Chargers didn't didn't have quite the number of opt-outs that the Chiefs had. Obviously yeah. three with two of them, you know, at least nominally ticketed to be starters. But the Broncos had a pretty big opt-out uh, right tackle, Jawan James, who didn't really play very much last year, but he was a big ticket free agent signing for them last year and he opted out. So now the Broncos have a huge hole at right tackle. That will be fun for their new young quarterback and their new young offense. And yeah, that's, that's not a great situation for them by any means. Uh, former chief D'Anthony Thomas also opted out. So there were some, you know, some uh, former friends that decided to take the year off. Um, and, you know, anyone, any football player that's good enough to make the NFL obviously loves the game and is highly competitive. That's the bare minimum requirement for sure. making it. So, I mean, all of these players, I'm sure, were agonizing about opting out. This is not this is not a decision to be taken lightly by anybody, especially with all the money at stake. They could have a, you know, they could slip and fall and never play football again or something. So, I mean, they're they're absolutely putting their careers, um, you know, before, or they're, they're putting their own health and safety before their careers. And that's tough to do. But um, that being said, it's uh, now over. And so anyone else that kind of falls by the wayside with COVID is going to be more of the like surprise on the COVID list. We're going to have to deal with all those all year. Um, So that's still going to be interesting to watch to see if the virus is going to spread throughout clubhouses how safe all these teams are there's still a lot to be determined but now we at least have the opt-out situation under control that's gonna do it for the news so we've got a question here from our man juicy josh at capri sun fan account question for the pod with ldt opting out to go fight covid 
There have been rumblings of nominating him for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Would love to hear your and Taylor's thoughts on the subject slash his chances of winning if nominated. I mean, I think that's a slam dunk. Uh, I, I honestly, like, I had not heard this until uh, uh, Josh sent us this question that, you know, that that was something that people were kind of talking about. But it's just would be, I mean, I think it would be an obvious choice. There, there's no better candidate for that. Um, that I, I mean, there's almost no better possible candidate for that in mm-hmm. a year that has been completely consumed with COVID-19 that has completely changed the way that we live our lives and the way that we consume sports. And, you know, it's going to affect the sports season. The fact that he chose to forego some money and sit out for a year and go continue to fight against COVID-19 is, is, it's incredible. We can't say enough about it. And I really hope that he does get recognized for that in some way, whether it's the Walter Payton man of the year award or, or something else he definitely deserves, whether the NFL finally lets him put doctor, (laughs) doctor LDT on the back, you know, which, which I know that they've been a little, a little iffy about, or maybe Andy Reid has been a little iffy about it. It was the the NFL. If I remember right, he said that they had strict Jersey rules about that but either way i i completely agree with you that i hope he should get some shine not only for his role as a doctor and an orderly and all that but also being the first opt-out he was a yeah you know he he spearheaded the players recognizing that it's okay to opt out which i know some people think of course they thought it was okay but there is a stigma that goes you know from your fans from your teammates that that Absolutely. isn't fair, but that is, it is a quitter type of stigma that, you know, LDT showed that he was not at all afraid of that reputation or not at all afraid of stepping forward and being a man and saying, you know, this, there are some things that are more important than football right now and saving lives is one of them. It's just, it's a great story and end of the year awards very often have a little bit of story to them, a little bit of narrative as we know um, the Walter Payton man of the year award, which is obviously not based on on field production at all is, is a perfect avenue for that, for him to be recognized as one of the you know community leaders i mean he he is that's a that's just a huge step for him and um i hope that he gets nominated i hope they don't pull some crap about if he's not on the active roster he's not eligible to be a well, that would be a very nfl and thing to do it would that. it absolutely would but as long as they are you know aware of what this type of story would mean i could see if there were betting odds right now on the walter payton man of the year i think he would be the clubhouse favorite it's just a it's a good story yeah, we appreciate that question, Juicy Josh. Bird of War, Juicy Josh. Caca! Caca! We have one here from fellow Bird of War, Brian Westhues. Idea for the pod, top 10 best coaches in the game right now. Now, he doesn't specify head coaches, assistant coaches. He does say bottom 10, top five assistants. You put yes. together a little top five assistant uh, roster. You want to break that down for us? I did, and I also ranked all 1 through 32 head coaches and did a tier system for them also. So I kind of – Well, look at I, you. You're an I, overachiever. I, Just, I, took this, I took Brian's question, and I ran with it. So We go hard with these questions. We do. We love these. We love our, our pod – I mean, our uh, mailbag. We love all the questions. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, Brian, I'll start with your last question, which is the top five assistants. Um, I, obviously, I'll go any order here, but I'll name Eric Bieniemy first. Everyone knows his qualifications and that he is one of the very next in line to be a head coach somewhere, you would imagine. Uh, Matt Eberflus, the DC at Indianapolis, is has been killing it with them. They've had great defensive performances, especially considering their lack of maybe superstar talent. I think he's really great. Same goes for Robert Sala. Um, obviously, everyone saw what he accomplished in San Francisco, taking that team – 
to the Super Bowl where they blew it. But uh, they, you know, he was a uh, hot name that didn't get picked this year. Um, I would imagine he will be right there on the cusp. Uh, Dennis Allen's been killing it in New Orleans as their DC for a long time. Uh, I think he's been there since 2015. And their de- their defense, despite having Drew Brees, has been a huge reason for their success. And he's and I think he's prior really to good. Dennis Allen in that superstar draft they had a few draft classes ago, it was like I mean we're talking like worst NFL defense of all time. Yeah, kind of bad. Like I mean, yep. for for years yep. and years they were a complete joke on defense for more than a decade, and then he just turned them way around. And finally, I have Greg Roman. Uh, I think that what he has done along with uh Harbaugh in the Ravens offense has been revolutionary and they have absolutely tailored that offense to their talent and despite all of our hesitations with running and with all that stuff I mean clearly Greg Roman has architected a great offense in Baltimore so yeah. those are my Colin top Kaepernick five before that and Colin Kaepernick he's a great he's a great coordinator it's not just his current job that's absolutely right so I mean if you think that Colin Kaepernick does not belong in the NFL because of his ability you must think that Greg Roman is a demigod essentially hmm. great yeah. point yeah, yeah because he obviously did a lot of great work with him uh okay so then I have broken down the NFL head coaches into six tiers six so, tiers okay let's... so we have 32 right. 32 coaches I'm just going to burn through them real quick the top four are Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, John Harbaugh. That's my top four. They're all the best tier. You probably could put Belichick in his own tier above the other three, obviously, but they're the guys that game on the line. I want them in charge. No matter. Can't what. argue with any of those. Right. Uh, the next list is my really respect them tier. And this is the biggest tier with 10 coaches. Um, order doesn't matter as much as the names in the list. Um, I've got Kyle Shanahan, Doug Peterson, Mike Tomlin, Bruce Arians, Sean McVay, Sean McDermott, Mike Vrabel, Frank Reich, Matt LaFleur, Matt Nagy. So you can kind of nitpick a little bit about order among those 10, but I think that they are the the tier below the best. They are all excellent, excellent head coaches. And any So Pete Carroll didn't make it in there. No, he's right below them. Um, I think that he makes a lot of really bad coaching decisions. He does. And despite his tenure and despite the Super Bowl appearances and all that stuff, I just am not thrilled on him at his coaching abilities. So the next tier are four veterans and they are the experienced tier, which I put below the respect tier because although they're experienced, not really too high on them, that would be Pete Carroll, Mike McCarthy, John Gruden, Ron Rivera. So that, those are the guys that they've been around. They know they're, you know, the, the players respect them and all that stuff. They're, they're sure. the old ball coaches, but meh, I like, I like. Some and of all them. of them have had some success, uh, you know, in their own right. McCarthy. I mean, all of those guys, except Ron Rivera have won a Super Bowl. Ron Rivera yep. went to a Super Bowl and obviously hasn't been a coach quite as long as those, those other guys. So yeah, I, I get, I get that group. Yeah. I understand yep. it. Um, my next one is the ones that really confuse me that I okay. I feel like at times I liked them and then at times I didn't. Um, so they're just kind of the like meh category. Um, Anthony Lynn, who I like as a guy, I don't know if he's a very good coach. He probably isn't. The Chargers have always <laughs> underperformed. Uh, sure. Dan Quinn, a lot of the same there. Like the players liked him and he's had some great teams. And then he's also had some really bad underperforming Falcons teams that just disappeared right away. Like they're so hot and cold. So an observation that I just realized right now, as you were saying that, is that the Falcons are kind of like the Chargers of the NFC, right? Like aren't they, 
Yes. Basically, always like, the talent. Always people are saying, "Oh, this is the Falcons yeah. here," and you know, and and in fact, they've actually made a Super Bowl recently. But, but then they that, choked away a historically they, large yes. lead. I mean, it's it, like which, which would be so what the Chargers would, would do if they got would be, there. Yeah. If they got yeah. there, it's it's yeah. like, and then they have like a ton of injuries every year. Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers are very yeah, similarly sure. like stat stuffing. Hmm. Yep. Right. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and then I also have Mike Zimmer there. I I feel like. You know, he's 59 and 41 in his career, so he's well above 500. But I just feel like he makes dumb decisions and does dumb stuff. And I don't know. I I think most I kinda, Vikings fans would agree with that. I Yeah. And then I have Cliff Kingsbury here. I probably was going to bump him up into the bottom of the respect tier. But, like, I he was 5 and 10 this first year. I'd like to see more out of him. Um, I think that he's got a great mind. And I'm sure with a longer coaching career, he will uh, rise, rise up. But I had him there. Now, my last two tiers, I have the young um, – here that I don't really know what to think about these guys yet. Um, that's these five, Brian Flores, Zach Taylor, Joe Judge, Kevin Stefanski, Matt Rule. Uh, three of those, the last three, Judge, Stefanski, and Rule haven't coached yet. And then Taylor and Flores have only had one season with not a lot of you know pieces around them in the Dolphins sure. and Bengals. Uh, just don't really quite know. I feel like Brian, Brian Flores has had a good rep and same with Zach Taylor, really. I mean, they both seem like they're in good spots and, you know, jury's out on judge jury's out on judge nice jury's <laughs> out on judge Stefanski and rule I have the I have the courtroom in my mind right now uh and then the bottom four tier or the bottom four coaches are my barf tier and that's the <laughs> ones that have been around long enough for me to know that they are not good and that is Mr. Vic Fangio who although he's only coached uh one year has clearly been around the NFL for a while and I know what he's all about Matt Patricia Adam Gase and then number 32 of course the man the myth the legend himself GM Bill O'Brien <laughs> yeah, that's great. I uh, I can't really argue with any of that. I probably would have Pete Carroll a little higher. I get that the the end game decision making, uh, specifically on fourth down, we talked about Pete Carroll before. Yeah, uh, is bad. It's really he bad. Needs to it's let like, Russ cook. If he let Russ yeah. cook, he'd be in the respect column for sure. sure. He might be up in the top five or with you know. I mean, he's he ha- he's right there. He just yeah. does too much dumb stuff for me. He's like a really interesting. Like you, I think of baseball managers as being like they're kind of locker room guys, and they're just kind of there to like not screw up because the decisions that they make don't really matter that much yeah and then i'm kind of of the opinion that football guys really should know a lot about x's and o's and like Mm -hmm. be making good tactical decisions because Mm -hmm. that actually has a huge impact on their win-loss record and And they're like a million assistant coaches that can be the locker room guys that you know the guys can go to and you know like you don't have to be everyone's best friend you need to win the football games p carroll though is like a baseball manager but (laughs) for a football team which is really weird he's like somehow it works he is he's basically like ned Mm -hmm. yost and the seahawks are the 2014 2015 royals we don't really understand it but they make it work (laughs) i i I think vic fangio being in the barf tier is hilarious (laughs) yeah to see how he does it this year but i mean for a defensive coach their defense was not that great last year yeah he doesn't do anything to impress me not yet and and adam adam gase would probably be my my number 32 that is over o'brien i mean they're both really yeah, really, really I mean, bad bill o'brien is he's fine as a coach he's not great he's obviously in the bottom tier because of his shenanigans as a gm well, but i think he's a dum-dum well he is i, I don't i don't Listen, think he's a good coach he isn't a good coach but I don't he's think he's the much worst better talent like, around him than Adam Gase has had. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, but Adam Gase also, I don't know. And who, give do, Adam you, Gase who else do you have in the bar tier? Uh, Matt Patricia. Oh, Matt Patricia. <laughs> Matt Patricia for sure belongs to the yeah, bar Yeah, 9-22 in his career so far and um, doesn't look to be 
heading anywhere good. We'll do a callback, uh, by the way. If you guys haven't checked out like three or four episodes ago, we did a roast of former mm. New England uh, assistant coaches. It was toasty. Which included Matt Patricia, who got roasted hard because, hard. man, that guy is terrible. <laughs> so then you have a bottom 10 bottom 10 that was bottom 10 coaches so you didn't do um, correct okay correct. so you didn't so, do bottom 10 assistant coaches i have some nominations for that i just want to oh, throw sure. these out here yeah sure. uh, for offensive coordinators i'm, I'm going to do assistant coaches i'm just going to roast a couple of guys here real quick uh brian schottenheimer for the seahawks idiot the aforementioned let russ cook situation they like they like think if russ russell wilson throws the ball more than 30 times a game that like the universe is going to explode doesn't make any sense terrible uh daryl bevel who is currently the offensive coordinator for the detroit lions uh you know right right there on that ace coaching staff with matt patricia he was the seahawks offensive coordinator before brian schottenheimer also did not let russ cook so those two guys are going to be at the bottom there's some guys in here did you know that the chargers offensive coordinator's name is shane steachen you ever no. heard of that guy? No, never. Okay. Well, he was their quarterbacks coach until last year. Now he's their offensive coordinator. Uh, sure. The Jacksonville Jaguars offensive coordinator, Jay Gruden. That'll be interesting to see how he, uh, you know, kind of kind of puts it together. Uh, there's a guy named Alex Van Pelt, who's the current offensive coordinator for Cleveland Browns. That'll, that'll be interesting. Oh, yeah, sure. AVP. Sure. Uh, defensive coordinators, there's only one name and one name only that I feel like I need specifically to call out as a total dum-dum, and that's Jack Del Rio. Nice. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen him tweet, Ugh. he does not know the difference between fake tweets and real tweets, so how can he know the difference between a fake offense and a real offense? <laughs> anyway, roasted. He's my bottom defensive coordinator. Get that guy away from my team. He's also like a big-time COVID denier, so the Washington yeah, football team is going to have – they're going to have problems. Yeah. We appreciate that question, Brian West Hughes. And we've got one more here that kind of slid into our mailbag. This is from unknown caller at original GMF. Hey bird. I've been catching up on the podcast finally. And I wanted to slide in your DMS for some mailbag content. I haven't had a chance to listen to this week's episode yet. So if you covered this, just ignore me. Discuss the 2004 QB class, big Ben, Eli Manning, Philip rivers. And if you want to dunk on someone, Matt Schaub, uh, I feel bad for Matt Schaub. We're going to, I kind of like Matt Schaub. Yeah, really me too. Long. He was my fantasy quarterback, like back, I remember. you know, in 2006 <laughs> or something like that. And he was pretty good. I know because every time his name comes up, you mention your 2006 fantasy team. But hey, it was it was a banger of a team, man. Make a case either for or against them being in the Hall of Fame. I mostly want to hear you roast Rivers the way you roasted Elway and Carr. I get sick of hearing the talking heads hail him as a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's time for someone to set the record straight that he is thoroughly mediocre. Man, uh, I got to tell you, unknown caller, I was ready to lay into Philip Rivers because as a personality, he's obviously extremely roastable. Uh, he's he's like the goofiest, weirdest guy in the NFL. Um, if you saw the pictures of him in a Colts uniform, it looks very strange. He obviously like he throws the ball very strangely. He talks I love back, his character on Gridiron Heights. Yeah, he he doesn't curse, but he. He talks trash, mad trash yeah. all the time. He's just a very strange character. He's very roastable. I will say, though, when I dug into his numbers, it's pretty hard to make a case against him as a football player. Um, he has had a lot of really good supporting casts. This 2004 QB class is really strange, Taylor, because they kind of came in like in between eras, right? Like the 90s mm -hmm. and before, not a super prolific passing era in the NFL. And then obviously most of these guys have stuck around into the next era of NFL passing offense, which has been much higher. So for instance, when, uh, when Eli came into the league, 
I believe the, or excuse me, when, when Rivers came into the league, the average quarterback rating was like 84. And then a couple of years ago in 2018, it was 92. So, you know, there's been a big shift. I mean, I'm talking about the average quarterback rating has gone way up. So Rivers is actually better, was actually better early in his career. And he's been worse later in his career, despite, you know, the league sort of becoming more proficient as passers. Um, they're funny because they sort of all present very different Hall of Fame cases, right? So Rivers is definitely the best statistically. He has the highest QB rating, 95.1. Big Ben is at 94.0. And then Eli, the other quarterback uh, from that first round, is at 84.1, which is terrible. Um, 397 TDs for Rivers, 366 for Eli, 363 for Ben. But then you got to kind of flip everything around when you want to talk about playoff performances. Uh, Rivers is five and six in the playoffs. He's made it to one AFC championship game. He lost. He's never made it to a Super Bowl. He's never won a Super Bowl. Ben is 13 and eight with two rings. He's two and one in the Super Bowl, you know, three AFC championships, which is obviously very impressive. And then Eli is eight and four in the playoffs with two <laughs> four and zero oh runs to beating the Patriots and four first round exits, which what is just, I mean, he, he's had a hilarious career. He's like but, the Marlins. Yeah, he is. He's exactly like the Marlins. Um, he's like the Marlins the year that they beat the Yankees and then repeat it again. Um, the only two times they've made the playoffs, I believe. Yes, that's correct. And both times they've won the World as wild cards, which is just stupid. It's crazy. Uh, Eli is definitely the worst quarterback of those three, but there's a lot of football boomers out there who will vote him into the Hall of Fame because of the rings argument. I, as you know, have never been super persuaded by the rings argument. I think that that's a pretty lazy argument, but I will say if I was ever going to buy that argument for a football player in the hall of fame, it's definitely like quarterback is the position where I'm most receptive to it because obviously quarterback is the most important position. And so, you know, if you're a great quarterback, my thinking is you probably should win a super bowl at some point, you know, if you're really a great quarterback. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard. Rivers has been like a top five quarterback, probably, I don't know, more than half of the seasons in his career sure, or at least half but it's really hard to make the case for him ever being the best quarterback in the NFL. There's like one year that you could maybe do it, which would be like maybe 2008, which is the year that he led the league in passer rating. He did lead the league in passer rating that year by eight points over Chad Pennington. He was at 105 and Chad Pennington was at 97 and Chad Chad Pennington. Pennington. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. 2008. But that was the year that Brady got hurt. Mm-hmm. And Peyton had a down year for him and Breeze uh, what hadn't really completely gotten going yet in New Orleans with Peyton. So it's just, it was just kind of a year where there really wasn't a great quarterback. And so he kind of snuck in there and, you know, he led the league in passer rating once. And I don't know. I, I think gun to my head, I probably would vote. I for sure would vote Roethlisberger in. Yeah. Oh. He's a slam dunk. He's a slam dunk. He'll make it. Yeah. I think, Eli is going to make it, but if I were voting, I probably wouldn't vote for him. And yeah. then I, I don't know. This, this, this question has given me no more clarity on what I think about Philip Rivers as a Hall of Famer. He's like, he, he's been good. He doesn't have any postseason success. He's kind of spanned some different eras and been pretty good in both, but never like the best yeah, the quarterback best. in the league for yeah. for any extended stretch of time. And he's just a, an extremely weird. Dude, that I just don't know. Yeah. I just don't know what to make of him. He he perplexes me. He's preposterous. I, I think that him being sixth in touchdowns and sixth in yards career. Now, obviously, those are both counting stats, but um, he's been right there along with Ben and Eli, and has better numbers than both of them on that. Uh, he's been 
he, he's just been around for a long time and he's never really done much with it. He doesn't have an MVP. He's never even really sniffed an MVP. Um, he's just always been a guy that you point to and you're like, oh, he's a pretty good quarterback. Well, well at least a lot of people thought that. Now, lately in his career also, he's been throwing tons of picks, way more picks now that that makes him kind of almost a joke of a quarterback. I had no apprehensions facing Phillip Rivers two times a year, every year that he was in the league. None. And it, some of that had to do with the Chargers ineptitude, of course, but he just never really strikes fear into the heart of anybody. And that's a narrative base as well. But um, all that being said, he he has numbers, but no story. So I'm going to say he's going to always be on the cusp. He's always going to be getting Hall of Fame votes. I don't know if he'll ever get enough to go over the hump. That's fair. Thank you, everybody who contributed to our mailbag. We appreciate that. We'll probably do another mailbag episode here before the start of the season. We're, we're getting due for one. But in the meantime, if you guys have got some interesting questions, shoot them our way, slide them into our DMs, tag us on Twitter. We just throw them into a Google Doc, and we get to them when we get to them. So with that being said, Taylor, I think it's time to go back to the law house for closing arguments at the trial of Derek Carr. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for closing arguments. And as counsel for the persecution, I have the burden of proof. I have to prove to you that Derek Carr is guilty, that he is Jace Frost, and that he slandered his teammates with this burner account. So we're going to go through the evidence, ladies and gentlemen. At the conclusion of this argument, you are going to have no choice but to find Derek Carr guilty. So let's start with the obvious, ladies and gentlemen. Witness TJF Sports, God-fearing man, a Chiefs fan, was interacting with a very pro-Derek Carr Twitter account. He did some digging. He made an allegation. He accused this Twitter account of being a Derek Carr burner account. And poof, just minutes later, that account was gone. Deleted. That, ladies and gentlemen, that is consciousness of guilt. But ladies and gentlemen, you know that when something is deleted from the internet, it's not gone. It's never gone. Everything you've ever tweeted, everything you've ever put online, it's still there. So ladies and gentlemen, we've been able to recover some of these tweets. You've seen these tweets online. You've seen Bird Lawyer tweet about these tweets, these 200 tweets that have been yanked back from this burner account. And ladies and gentlemen, these tweets all have something in common. They are all related to one subject, Derek Carr, or things that are Derek Carr adjacent. Let's talk first about these tweets about Derek Carr. Now, over and over again, you see this account tweet about how awesome Derek Carr is. Ladies and gentlemen, that's ridiculous. We all know that Derek Carr sucks. But you see this account make excuses, how he doesn't have any weapons, how his teammates are terrible, and yet somehow, somehow, Derek Carr is really good. What strikes me about these arguments, ladies and gentlemen, is something of an expert on the topic of arguments about why Derek Carr is good or bad. These arguments are different from your typical Raider fan arguments about Derek Carr. You know, usually, ladies and gentlemen, you hear this argument about the comeback wins, the fourth quarter comebacks. But this account, it was more into completion percentage and uh, yards per attempt. You know who retweeted a CBS sports tweet six days ago? that mentioned the fourth quarter comebacks and game-winning drives? 
David Carr. So we know that this account, which wasn't about the fourth quarter comebacks, that wasn't David Carr tweeting these things. It was Derek Carr. And we know that not just because of the content of these tweets, but also because of the speech. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Derek Carr has a very distinctive speech pattern. He's probably the only quarterback in the NFL besides Philip Rivers who has never said a cuss. He doesn't say bad words, ladies and gentlemen. And this account, it's never once used profanity. He calls his teammates terrible. He never uses a bad word. Now, does this sound like a Raiders fan to you? Ladies and gentlemen, Raiders fans are unspeakably crass. The only person here who's associated with Raiders Nation on the entire internet who never uses a potty word, a bad word, a cuss, those people are all from the Carr family. And we know that this person is from the Carr family, again, because of these attacks on these other quarterbacks. We know these aren't Raiders fans. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, are Raiders fans dumb? Yes. But are they dumb enough to say that Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Cam Newton, a former NFL MVP and Super Bowl quarterback? Are they dumb enough to say that Derek Carr is better than Carson Wentz, who would have won the MVP in 2017 if he hadn't gotten injured? No Raiders fan would make such ridiculous claims. Now, there is only one Raiders fan, ladies and gentlemen, that would make such an outlandish statement, and that is Raider Cody. But we know that this isn't Raider Cody because Raider Cody makes these outlandish statements on his main count all the time. He's constantly tweeting out ridiculous things about how the Raiders are going to win 12 games in 2020. And Derek Carr is the MVP. And Henry Ruggs is the rookie of the year. Just ridiculous things. Raider Cody doesn't need a burner account. But there's one man who does need a burner account. That's Derek Carr. It's Derek Carr. These tweets are coming from inside the Carr family, ladies and gentlemen. And that brings us to the personal details. Now, even the tweets that have no obvious connection to Derek Carr have connections to Derek Carr. There's this obsession with Paul George, who this Twitter user thinks is better than Kawhi Leonard. Ladies and gentlemen, that does not make sense. Everyone knows that Kawhi Leonard is better than Paul George. But Paul George played at Fresno State in 2009 and 2010, and you know who was at Fresno State in 2009 and 2010? Derek Carr, Paul George's best friend. I want to talk about the Clovis connection. Clovis, Clovis, the Clovis Unified School District, okay? Why is this burner account tweeting about the Clovis Unified School District? Derek Carr's kids aren't old enough to be in school. Well, guess whose kids are old enough to be in school? David Carr's. David Carr got married in 1999 and he has six kids and he's a God-fearing Christian man who doesn't use cuss words. So, you know, he was popping out those children as soon as he got married. He definitely did not have sex before marriage. And I'm not knocking that ladies and gentlemen, but it's just a fact. David Carr was a virgin until they got married. So that would make his oldest kids in their late teens or their early twenties, which is the exact age where they would be taking their college admissions tests, where they would be getting screwed by the Clovis Unified School District because you know who lives in Clovis? David Carr at 5790 North DeWolf Avenue, Clovis, California, ladies and gentlemen. So that leaves us with an option. Is this David Carr tweeting in defense of his brother, Derek, or is it, in fact, Derek Carr himself? Let's go back to that Paul George connection. David Carr, he went to Fresno State too, but he went to Fresno State in the early 2000s. It doesn't make sense that he would be obsessed with Paul George. It doesn't make any sense that he would think that Paul George is the best player in the NBA, which this burner account does. So does it make sense that 
David Carr would revere Paul George, who he didn't even go to school with? Or does it make sense that Derek Carr would be weird enough to get on Twitter on a burner account and complain about his nieces and nephews' school district not getting into good colleges because their school district failed them? Come on, ladies and gentlemen, you know the answer to that. Use your reason and common sense. And that brings us to our final piece of evidence, ladies and gentlemen, and that is the denial. The denial. Some will say that if you deny it, it means it never happened. Ladies and gentlemen, you know that's not true. Our friend Tom, TJF Sports, as soon as he called out this account, that account was deleted. But then it came back. It came back the very next day, and it reached out to Tom, and it sent him a direct message that said, hey, Tom, wanted to reach out and clear up. I am not a car or anyone associated with them, LOL. It's crazy how much all of that took off. Just a Fresno State fan who loves some random debates on Twitter. I have a lot of car tweets because people are so passionate against him, but his numbers disagree with some of the narratives. Parentheses, not all. I also have some Paul George tweets and political tweets. Anti-Trump guy here. Wanted to write you because I felt it was the right thing to do to make it clear I'm not a car or associated with them. Have a good rest of your week. Congrats on locking up Mahomes on the big deal. Loved him at TT and knew he would be solid, but crazy how quick he's developed. He sends a subsequent tweet, ladies and gentlemen, after our friend Tom calls him out and says, best of luck to you, Derek. Hope the move to Vegas works out well. Excited to watch the Chiefs play you there. Jace Frost says, ha ha, come on, Tom. Do you really think an NFL QB would have a burner? Question mark. Also, I gave you a chance to ask any questions to prove who I am, and you didn't. Just want to keep your false narrative and ride off in the sunset. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a ridiculous denial. This is clearly Derek Carr pretending not to be Derek Carr, okay? Do you really think an NFL QB would have a burner? He literally asked that question, ladies and gentlemen. Now listen, would a random Fresno State fan who was accused of being an NFL quarterback's burner account, would he delete his account in response to that? No, that doesn't make any sense. You know who would delete his account in response to an allegation like that? Derek Carr. You know why? Because Derek Carr is a person who, when pressured, makes poor decisions. And that's exactly what happened here, ladies and gentlemen. He had a burner account. He got caught. And when he got caught, he did what Derek Carr does under pressure. He panicked. He made a bad decision. And he got burned for it. Guilty. Well, 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 Mr. Big Time Hotshot Lawyer Man. So I'm going to make this quick. I shan't mince words with you for long. Let's look at Mr. Carr's behavior, shall we? Other than the obviously insane demand for respect laid out at the beginning, he is also the only person in the recorded history of the Internet to engage with Fresno State social media posts at all. He uses this football emoji instead of typing the word football. He could pick any name in the world to go undercover, and he chose Jace with a Y, Frost. Obviously, this is a nod to his desire to succeed in cold weather games, but he knew he didn't deserve the name Jack Frost, so he went with Jack's albino virgin cousin, Jace. He also lost his mind the moment he was called out as the persecution so graciously just laid out. And the deletion of his account was actually a cry for help. He knew we'd see through it. He knew this would make headline news. He had no choice. Ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, Derek Dallas Carr 
has donkey brains and should therefore be acquitted of all charges of owning and operating a Twitter burner account of sound mind and body. Objection, objection, objection. He can't do that. He can't do that. Move to strike. I believe I've made myself perfectly redundant. No further questions, Your Honor. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as judge slash counsel for the persecution, this matter is now in your hands to decide. We will let the jury retire to consider its verdict. Thank you very much.